morning we're reading from the book of Galatians, Galatians in chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, and I'm reading from the uh, NIV, uh, Galatians chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, uh, and we read these words, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading from uh, the Galatian epistle and those uh, very stern words really from the Apostle Paul there. It seems a long time since we were in church and uh, a long time from the time when I began uh, this Galatian epistle expecting to be able to continue it uh, through the weeks and uh, months and uh, we had the lockdown and so it's been uh, a long long time and uh, what I wanted to do this morning was really to give an overview of the first few verses or the first couple of verses there um, which is where I began this uh, Galatian epistle to give an overview of it in order that we might get it in context uh, for the weeks ahead and uh, I, Easton made a very good uh, comment uh, last week when he was uh, talking about context and, uh, and he said that um, if you begin a book uh, several chapters in or into somewhere into the book and you begin reading it there you really don't uh, it's very difficult to get a context very difficult to pick up the story and to understand uh, the context of what's being said and of course that's very true of these letters that Paul writes to the various churches if we don't get a, a background if we don't begin at the beginning we find it hard to get it into context so this morning I just want to give an overview of those first uh, few messages at the beginning of the chapter and then from next time we'll move into a more uh, detailed study of uh, of these verses now you remember you might remember if you've got a, a good memory you might remember that I began this uh, series by looking at the uh, uh, that the history of the of the book itself and uh, pointing out the importance of this Galatian epistle in relation to the, the Christian church down through the centuries. And uh, I mentioned the fact that uh, at certain times of crisis, 
that this Galatian epistle has been uh, of particular importance and relevance uh, to dealing with those particular difficulties within the church. And the Roman epistle was also uh, a particular help. If you look at the Reformation, for example, you find there that it was the Galatian epistle and the Roman epistle. These two epistles were the, uh, were the foundation of the, the arguments that brought about the release and the, uh, and the Reformation uh, used greatly by, uh, um, uh, by uh, Martin Luther and others. You, you also look at Calvin and the way that Calvin and others used these letters in order to bring liberty and freedom and bring clarity to the, to the church. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching and correction and training in righteousness, but there are certain books that have been used uh, in particular ways in particular situation and this Galatian epistle has certainly been one of the Martin Luther he absolutely loved this Galatian epistle he called it his his epistle he called it his Catherine that was the name of his wife he was so enamored so enthralled so liberated by the Galatian epistle that he he, he referred to it in that flowery language it was his Catherine he said I'm I'm wedded to this epistle it's such a a wonderful letter and brought such freedom such liberty so Paul here is writing as he writes to these Galatian uh, people he writes to a people who like the people of the at times the reformation a people confused a people unsure about their faith a people tempted these Galatians were tempted to return to ritualistic religion and uh, sadly believing or tempted to believe that Jesus Christ might not be enough to save them and secure their eternal destiny and their home in heaven. And so Paul writes to them, these people who are in this sad and dreadful situation. It is a, a sad, a dreadful situation for any church or indeed for any individual to be in this position of feeling that Jesus Christ might not be sufficient, might not be enough to save them. And uh, that was the state of the church, the Galatian church. And sadly, it's the state of many churches today and indeed many individuals today. We often meet people, you will have met them, I've certainly met them, people who once once walked well with God and uh, they were confident in the saving grace of God so vividly displayed upon the cross of Calvary and so triumphantly displayed at the empty tomb. But now those same people are sad people, unsure people, people who are trying to find comfort in ritualistic religion people who have um, gone back and instead have lost their joy and lost their complete confidence in Jesus Christ. Well, here in this Galatian epistle, Paul deals with the causes of those difficulties and the cure for those difficulties of that sad state. And uh, we began, you might remember, again, if you've got a, a good memory, you might remember that we began looking at the first verse and we looked at this man Paul 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 once so fond of uh, his Jewish name Saul 
You remember if you go back to the book of Acts and chapter 8, we're introduced to a man called Saul who stood by and watched uh, Stephen being stoned and uh, condoning what was happening there. This Jew, this Hebrew, this Pharisee, this man who is so steeped in who was so steeped in ritualistic religion and good works that he thought would save him. But now this man who writes to the Galatians is a changed man since his encounter with Jesus Christ on that road to Damascus. In the 13th verse of this Galatian epistle, he puts it like this. He says, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was so extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. That was Paul's confidence under that name, his other name of Saul. But now he tells us, he goes, tells us in the Philippian letter he puts it very well he says but whatever were gain for me I now consider loss for the sake of Christ what is more I consider everything a loss because of the of because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes by the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, a righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So this is the man who writes. This is the changed man. This is the born again man. This is the man with the testimony who writes to these Galatians in order to help them, in order to put them back on track. And this is the type of, this is the, the need that we have as Christians to have that testimony. If we're ever going to help other people, it begins with us. It begins with a, a changed life. It begins with a, a living testimony that allows us to, to reach out and say, well, I was once in your position, but now I'm changed. If we'd never been unsaved, we wouldn't know what it was like to be saved. If we never sinned, we wouldn't know what it was like to the joys of being free from sin through the shed blood of Jesus. We need to be people with living testimonies. But this man, Paul, was also, we discovered there in that first verse, he was a man who had a, a mission. He was a man who had a status, a commission. He was an apostle and of course that was a very special status he was uh, the one uh, untimely born he says one of the, the one of the apostles one of the the 13 as it were who had a very special mission indeed the bible does use that term uh, apostle in a in a more general sense it also includes people like barnabas and and others but there is a very special uh, terminology or special usage of this term and it was those who had seen Jesus Christ those who had walked with Jesus and those who had a, a special commission there were no apostles after the apostolic age there were no apostles uh, of that same standing uh, after that there was no apost 
apostolic lineage that comes down through the through the line you know the the roman catholic church the idea of a pope it, it, it is it is not scriptural at all because the apostles were unique they were responsible for the completion of the canon of scripture they had a very very special ministry indeed i find it difficult i find it confusing when i hear people use this term apostle today and uh you know i i don't want to you know be too dogmatic about it but i i think we need to be very clear about what the apostles were of the early church and their special ministry compared with the of anybody who would dare to call themselves if i could put it that way an apostle today it's certainly not the same usage of the of the terminology so uh, terminology so this man was a man who had a very special ministry indeed but i do, th do think it does uh, point out very clearly and uh, lay the the foundation for saying that for you and for me as we reach out and we 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 seek to minister to other people we need to be sure and we need to be confident of our own ministries you know people were trying to deride paul they were trying to say of paul you know you're not a real apostle and what authority have you got and why should you come and why should you talk to us and why should you tell us what to do because the enemy is always trying to to do that he's always trying to take away our authority and always trying to make us feel as if we should be apologetic now the apostle paul here is not apologetic other people were criticizing him in all sorts of ways but he's not apologetic he says look this is my ministry this is what god has given me to do this is my work and this is what i'm going to do and i'm not going to apologize for it and you know it's very important for you and for me as christians whatever our ministries are that we should not be apologizing for it and we should recognize that these are ministries that God has given us. Now, there may be ministries within the church. There may be ministries of pastor or teacher or evangelist or, uh, or, or, or uh, a deacon or deaconess or whatever. There may be ministries in, within the church and we shouldn't be apologetic for that. But you know, there are other ministries that we have as well. We have ministries as, uh, as mothers and fathers and, 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 and sons and daughters and other ministries as well. And, and even in those ministries as Christians, those are ministries that God has given to us. And the devil is always trying to come along and take away his ministries and say, what authority have you got? And people are always challenging us. What authority have you got as a Christian to tell me what to do or to, or to minister? You know, I, I, I've heard of parents whose uh, kids have said to them, what authority have you got to, to, to speak to me? What authority have you got to tell me what to do as a parent? You know, who gave you that authority? The Bible gives you that authority. The Bible gives us authority as parents to teach our children and to tell our children what is right and what is wrong. And it's these other ministries that we need to be careful of as well. Don't apologize for being a parent. Don't apologize for being a, a father. Don't apologize for being a mother. Don't apologize for the ministries that you've got. You know, one of the, I don't want to go to too long on this because of the length of the message, but you know, one of the terrible things I've discovered in this day and age is that uh, women are often derided for being mothers and being housewives and staying at home looking after their kids. And everybody says to them, you ought to be out working. And if you don't, aren't working, if you haven't got some other status, you know, being a mother isn't a status. Being a, a, a housewife isn't a status. That is not what the Bible says. 
The Bible says that if, if God has called us to those ministries, and those are such precious ministries, then we should be proud of that, and we should be honoured for those ministries, and we need to be careful not to be people who who stand back and say, well, I'm, I'm sorry or apologising for ourselves. I'm going to leave it at that point, particular point there, but we need to be confident in our ministries, both within the church and outside of the church for who we are. Now, we also noted that this uh, was a man, this Apostle Paul was a man with a family. He says in, uh, in verse two there, uh, I love it, he says, and all the brothers with me. And I love that because, you know, the Apostle Paul had a really rough time. He, he was criticized by everybody. He was criticized sometimes by, by Christians. He was criticized by non-Christians. He was criticized by the Jews. He was criticized by the Gentiles. He was criticized left, right, and center. And it must have felt at times that, that he was alone, but he wasn't alone. It was quite possible that he, he lost a good number of his Jewish family, that they turned their backs upon him and wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't uh, acknowledge him because he was now a follower of Jesus. Yes, there were members of his family, and we, we find it in Scripture, that, that did become Christians and were supported. But, you know, there, I'm sure there were many members of his family who said, you're an embarrassment to us. You know, we, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to listen to you. We're not going to, uh, we're not going to have time with you. We're not going to, we, we're going to disown you. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, we, we have that in our own families. Jesus warned us, he said, sometimes the, 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 the people who are you, the enemies are the enemies of your own household. People will reject you from within your family. And um, I'm sure he would have had that rejection. But, you know, there was there was a, a, another group of people that God brought in to be his family. And it was the, the wonderful Christian family, the wonderful Christians who would come alongside him and, and support him. And they were so precious to him. Matthew 19, 29. And we touched on this, I think, in the Mark's gospel, where the disciples on one occasion said to Jesus, they said, we have left everything for you. What? What will we get? And Jesus says to them, he says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times and much more uh, will inherit eternal life. And he goes on to say, you'll, you'll have brothers and sisters and family. And they, he was talking about family within the Christian church. And, and, you know, as brothers and sisters together, we, we need to support one another because, you know, sometimes the world is very alien to us. And sometimes our own families, our own natural families are very alien to us. And, and yet as brothers and sisters together, we, are, we, 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 we need to consider one another really precious and appreciate one another. Uh, Paul could not have reached out. He could have not proclaimed the gospel. He could have not have done what he did without his Christian family. And, and some of those people we find are named in, the, in, in Scripture. We know that there was Barnabas, and, and we know that there was John Mark at one time. We know, we know that there, was, uh, there were others as well. We know that there was Simeon, uh, and there was Lucius, and there was uh, Manaean at, uh, at his church, his home church in uh, Syrian Antioch, who sent him out. We know that there was young Timothy, who he, who he comes into contact with as he, uh, in the Galatian churches. There were all these people who were, were going to support him. But there were also a lot of other people that weren't mentioned. 
a lot of names that aren't there. Brothers and sisters who were there supporting him, helping him, and uh, some of them are unsung heroes or, or not mentioned. You know, I, uh, Romans, tell, Romans chapter 12, Paul says there, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So we don't all have the same functions, but we are all members and brothers and sisters together. And, you know, I love Romans chapter 16, where um, Paul, at the end of the Roman epistle, he, he, he writes to all the people. He, he likes to give, give acknowledgement to, to a lot of people that have helped him, a lot of people that have supported him. A lot of people who are rather obscure, there's a whole list of people there that he acknowledges in the 16th chapter of the Roman epistle. But I, I love uh, uh, verse 13, uh, it just uh, as he mentions somebody there, he says, Greek Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother, who has been a mother to me. Isn't that wonderful that here was a, an elderly lady who, uh, you know, some people might have said, well, you may not have the, uh, the strength and the energy and the, uh, that others have got, but, but she was a mother to Paul. And Paul needed to be mothered at times, and we all need to be mothered at times. And sometimes our, our own mums aren't around. It's, it's great to have a bit of mothering at times. And there was a lady, you know, an unnamed lady, although her, her sons mentioned Rufus, but she was a mother to Paul. You know, we are brothers and sisters together and we have very, very special ministries and don't ever decry your ministry and don't ever feel that your ministry isn't important because it is. Then in our last study, I wanted to notice that uh, before lockdown, that we identified these Galatians, these people to whom Paul writes such a stern and forthright message. These are the Galatians, the inhabitants of the of the region of uh, of the province, the Roman province of Galatia, which included the cities of Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derb. Those to whom Paul visits and evangelizes on his first missionary journey with Barnabas, and you can find the the history. You can find the the story of that in Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14. Now, it may just have been possible that they had some contact with the gospel prior to the missionary journey. And I'll tell you why. Because Tarsus, the home city of uh, Paul, and indeed Syrian Antioch itself, were not far from Derb, which is the, the eastern uh, end of the of the group of churches there. So it's just possible that some of the gospel message infiltrated into those regions prior, but certainly the main thrust of the evangelism appears to have been done on this first missionary journey. And it was a hard journey, and it was an arduous journey. It was a sacrificial journey. It was a journey over dangerous seas and over rugged, dangerous terrain, to the region or that uh, he wanted to reach even the battle-hardened troops of Alexander the Great and the Roman Empire were loath to travel some of those mountainous regions because of the bandits that, uh, that roamed those countryside. Paul and Barnabas on 
the journey to reach these people, they'd taken casualties. Uh, John Mark, who had begun the journey with them, he had, uh, he had uh, found it so difficult, so arduous, that when they arrived in Perga, he gave up. He, he turned back. He said, this is just something I, I can't manage. It was too difficult for him. And before we criticize John Mark too much, we need to understand what a difficult journey, what a, a sacrificial journey that, that was. It was probably here at Perga where John Mark finally gives up and turns back that uh, the Bible commentators tell us that, uh, that Paul probably uh, or may well have uh, contracted malaria. And so he was unwell at the time because we don't read of, uh, of them preaching in Perga, but moving into the, uh, uh, to, to the better uh, land where um, away from the, uh, uh, the outbreaks of malaria. And so it was, a, it was an arduous journey. And when they get to the region and when they begin to preach to these churches, they are abused by the churches. They are attacked by mobs. They are criticized left, right and center. Paul is eventually stoned to the point where he is apparently dead. And the people drag him out of the city of Lystra and leave him for dead. It was a, a terribly sacrificial journey. And even after that, after that, they go on to Durban, then they come back that way and they come back to strengthen the churches on their way back. They did everything they possibly could to bring salvation and bring uh, a sense of security and uh, uh, to, that, uh, to those churches in that region. Paul had faithfully proclaimed the gospel of free grace, that uh, God had given his son to die upon that cross, to bear the sins of the world. And that sacrifice, Paul tells them, is totally sufficient to save for time and eternity everyone who would genuinely and sincerely repent of their sins and receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But when Paul and Barnabas move away, when they return to the home church of Syrian Antioch, these Judaizers come in and they begin to infiltrate the church. Now the Jews were enough of a problem to the to the gospel because the Jews themselves said this is this is heresy and we don't accept it and they opposed Paul. But these Judaizers were more dangerous than the Jews because they were Jews who claimed to be Christians. They were Jews who said we believe in Jesus. We've accepted Jesus. But they come in, they infiltrate the church, and they say, Jesus isn't enough. Jesus isn't enough to save you. And you need to be, uh, you need to be circumcised. And particularly the Gentile, they, they, they were uh, particularly uh, targeting the Gentile converts, that they needed to be circumcised. They needed to keep all the rituals and all the ordinances of the Jewish law. They, they criticized Paul. They cast doubt upon his credentials as an apostle. And it seemed that many of the people were taken in by these simpering legalists who and uh, were persuaded to, uh, to doubt and persuaded or being persuaded to return to the Jewish uh, law and to believe that salvation could only be achieved by 
keeping the Jewish law. And if you didn't keep the Jewish law, you would lose your salvation. You would fall from grace. And uh, that was what they were teaching. These Galatians, these Galatians, after all, Paul and Barnabas had sacrificed all they had suffered, all they had done for these people. Yet now they appear, these very same people now appear to be turning away, preferring, it seems, the simpering legalistic nonsense of these heretics. Why would, why would you write to such a people? Why would you bother with them? I'm sure that Paul must have felt that way at times. Perhaps you and I have felt that way at times about people. People we have tried to help. You know, people we have put ourselves out for. People we have sacrificed for. People who turn around and insult us and ridicule us and criticize us and tell us we haven't any right to talk to them. Who do we think we are? People who would rather believe in error than, than, than truth. People clinging to rituals rather than Jesus. Why would we bother? Why would Paul bother with people like this? There are plenty more people out there who need to hear the gospel. Why, why bother with these people when they appear to have turned their backs like that? But Paul answers this in his account of this in the missionary account in chapter uh, 13 of, of the book of Acts. If you were to turn to that, no need to, but I just want to quote from Paul there describing this, uh, this um, encounter with the, with the churches in the region of Galatia. He says, when the Gentiles heard this, that is the, the gospel, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord and all who were appointed to eternal life believed. That's really important. All He says all of those who were appointed for eternal life believed. I said this, this, this was not about Paul. This was not about Paul's work. This was about God's work. And this was about a gospel that triumphs and thrives even in adversity. You cannot destroy the gospel. You, you, you cannot lose the gospel. You cannot lose your salvation. Paul was convinced that God had appointed some of these people to eternal life. And he knew they would survive. And even in the onslaught of what was happening in the regions of Galatia, that the work of God would continue, that it would thrive, that it would survive. Yes, they were going through hard times. They were confused. But God would use these times as a refiner's fire. And they would persevere as all true Christians do. You know, I, I love that uh, hymn that, uh, that Easton uh, brought to us, the first one there, um, How Firm a Foundation, because it, it talks about just that. It talks about the refiner's fire. It talks about God taking diversity and using it to make people stronger, to make Christians stronger. And this is exactly what Paul was sure was happening within those churches in Galatia. 
They would certainly need encouragement, yes. They would certainly need teaching, yes. They would certainly need help, yes. But they were not a lost cause. God had begun a work in them. And he would certainly complete it as he confirms that in Philippians chapter 1, 6. The work that God has begun, Paul says there, is a work that God will always, always complete. Now, you know, we are surrounded in this day and age by many confused and disillusioned people that they seem at times to choose darkness and ritual and error rather than Jesus. They prefer sometimes to trust their eternal destiny to the teachings of people like Richard Dawkins rather than Jesus Christ. But God has done a work in some of these people's lives. God has done a work in them, which is an eternal work. Some of these confused and sometimes hostile people. And because he has begun a work in those lives, he will always bring it to fruition. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to be a people who are prepared to go as the Apostle Paul goes that extra mile. It is not our work to save people. It is our work to proclaim the gospel to them and to nurture those people who have heard the gospel. Uh, it is the work of people like Paul and the brothers and sisters who were with him. And you and I and our brothers and sisters who are with us to reach out with living testimonies and a sense of destiny and a sense of who we are and a sense of the message that we've got and being unapologetic about who we are and what we have to offer and what we're called to do. And it's as we do that that we will see people who appear to perhaps be dead springing back to life, just as Paul found with the Galatians. The Galatian church would eventually be a strong church and it would be stronger for the fact that he was a, a deeper rooted church it not only knew who it believed but it knew why it believed what it believed and this is so important for all of us in this day and age paul was a man and the people with him were men and women who would go the extra mile who would reach out time and time again because they knew that what god was doing was an eternal work in the lives of many may god bless the reading from his word may god bless the ministry of his word this morning and may we be greatly encouraged now just before i finish i want to ask you a question for next time next time god willing how do we find peace of mind in this day and age in these days of pandemic we're told there is a looming mental health crisis and uh, people are offering all kinds of help. If you look on the internet, I looked the other day and there were 40 suggested ways of finding peace of mind, you know, but none of them offer the answer that the Apostle Paul gives us here in the third verse of uh, Galatians chapter 1. And God willing, next time we will look at that. Amen.